Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 45, and welcome to summer. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we wanted to kick summer off in a big, fun way. And when I think about summer as a kid, I think about going camping, I think about road trips. So naturally, I could only think of one film to start the summer off. The quintessential Disney road trip movie. A goofy movie. Everybody Mambo. This is... You know, it's a movie that I grew up watching, and I'm just so excited to talk about it. I I was kind of wondering at what point we would get to this movie, and I'm so glad that we got to it now. Yeah, this is one that I've been waiting for since we started this podcast. I would imagine that, similar to me, you probably wore out the VHS tape. Um, I actually don't recall if we had the VHS. I don't think we did oh your face right now what listeners his eyes just popped out of his head um we saw it in theaters i do remember my mom taking us to see it in theaters um but this was one you know it's funny i always kind of felt bad for this movie because it didn't get the same accolades as you know your little mermaid beauty and the beast i I totally agree with that it was that same era but i just feel like it wasn't treated like the classic animation and it always made me wonder as a kid like what happened to it because i felt like it wasn't as prominent yeah it be kind it it sort of gained like a cult following for sure you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it has become a forgotten classic. Yes and no. I mean, there are people now with power line tattoos. I know, but like, if you think about... I would get one. I think that if you if you look at the entirety of the Disney catalog and you went to, say, a kid in the park nowadays, 12 years old, 10 years old, how many of them have seen Frozen? Probably all of them. How many of them have seen Nemo? Probably all of them. How many have seen Little Mermaid? Probably all of them. How many have seen a Goofy movie? I bet you, I bet you, it's probably like one in five kids have actually seen this movie. Right, which is very telling. I think we have brought this up on the show before. We saw Max Goof in Epcot, of all places. We I think talked it was about our this. Tw- we- We talked about this on Detour to Neverland, actually. Yes, we haven't done it on our podcast. Yeah, we were on there episode number 45, and we talked about this. I'll let you go ahead. And and, this uh, is our episode 45. Oh, my God. Which, by the way... This was not planned. By the way, though, um, congratulations to Brendan and Catherine. Uh, They just, last week, released episode number 100 of Detour to Neverland. Yes, congrats, guys. Huge milestone, so congratulations to you. But go ahead, and you can continue the story, the Max Goof interaction that we had. Yeah, we saw him in Epcot, and I believe it was our 2013 trip? Or 2015? No, 2013. It was the first time we went together. No, that was 2011. So, you're right, then it was the second trip, because it was, you're right, you're right. I'm all I'm all, all over the place right now. I know I'm right. I usually am. Anyway, um, we saw him in Epcot, and we both, like, hit the ceiling. We were just so excited because, you know, it's a rare character sighting, first of all. But, you know, to see something from our childhood like that. I mean, like, the only way I probably would have been more excited was if it was, like, Darkwing Duck, and they, they bought him back. Um so we run over to him, and there were no cast members with him. There, there was there a photo was n- pass person. That was it. Yeah, and there was no line to meet him. So we ran up. We were totally stoked, and you know we got a good picture. And then I believe we we tweeted it, and uh, Jason Marsden, who voiced Max Goof, wrote us back. I think he did. I have to go find that. And I want to say that we got like a good three minutes with him. Because like you said, there was nobody there. And it made absolutely no sense that he was in Epcot, of all places. Yeah. It, it was towards the front. I mean, yeah, if he was in one of the countries, it would have made a lot less sense. He was he was towards the front. He was but standing like, in front of the fountain. I, it just didn't make any sense. I would expect a sighting like that more in like MGM. Exactly. 
I know now is like a big deal. They do these random rare character pop-ups in front of the flagpole at the Magic Kingdom. Okay, fine. This was a long time ago, but you're right. Studios, even Magic Kingdom. But for him to pop up in Epcot, was it's, it seemed so out of place. And I feel like that was half the reason why we were so excited to see him. And I think he was excited that we were excited because I have to imagine that was the most action he got all day. Absolutely. All right. Shall we dive in here? Let's hit the open road. So before he landed in the land of futility, so it would seem, uh, Max Goof was the star of this film as well as Goof Troop along with his dad. And the film opens with Max. He's with his crush, Roxanne. And while he's trying to impress her, he's sort of swooning over her. They have that slow motion lean in for the kiss thing. He transforms into Goofy. Turns out it is a total nightmare, literally and figuratively. Max wakes up. He finds out that he's running late for the last day of school. And clearly he and his best friend PJ have something big planned. During the end-of-the-year presentation, it was an assembly uh, being held by Principal Mazer. They hijack it, and Max does a song and dance to Stand Out, which is a huge song by the most popular musician on Earth. That would be Powerline, and he impresses Roxanne uh, before being busted by Principal Mazer. We see Goofy and Pete at work. Pete tells Goofy that he's taking PJ camping over the summer, and Goofy explains that Max wouldn't do that with him. And Pete, being Pete, says, you know, there's something wrong if uh, kids don't spend time with their parents there, Goofy. And he starts putting an idea in his head that maybe Max is not the angel that Goofy makes him out to be. Um, While Max is waiting to go to the principal's office, he asks Roxanne to go to Stacy's party, Stacy being um, another girl in the school, and uh, she agrees, and they're going to show the big Powerline Live from Los Angeles concert on pay-per-view. Principal Mazer calls Goofy at work to explain what happened, and Goofy decides he wants to take Max fishing because he doesn't want Max to end up being one of these maladjusted kids or these troublemakers, because now Pete put the idea in his head, and we know that Goofy at times can be easily influenced. So Max gets home. He's on cloud nine uh, until he finds out that he's going to go fishing with his dad, um, and he has to go and break off his date with Roxanne. But rather than telling her the truth, he tells her that Goofy knows Powerline, that they used to play in a band together, and that he's going to be at the concert in L.A., and that he's going to be on stage with Powerline during the finale, and that he will wave to her on live television. Good strategy. Great idea. Well, they hit the open road, and after a rocky start to the trip, including a disastrous stop at Lester's Possum Park, Goofy sees that their relationship is clearly strained worse than he had thought, leading him to maybe think that things are maybe heading down the road that Pete had kind of teased, but he's still not willing to totally admit it. Along the way, they run into Pete and PJ, and Pete convinces Goofy that he has to rule with an iron fist and keep Max under his thumb, which Goofy tries to do. Uh, While they're fishing, they encounter Bigfoot and take shelter in their car, uh, because Bigfoot chases them in there and has control of the keys, because Goofy left them outside. After some bickering, they decide that they're hungry, and they heat up a can of soup with a lighter. And this is, it happens in the film, and this is where you kind of start to see it take a little bit of a tonal change with Max. Goofy tells him about High Dad Soup, and Max hardly remembers it. And basically, he says, you used to have High Dad Soup. You would have, you know, the alphabet soup, and you would write little messages and words in there. And Max, after he has his portion of soup, gives the cup back to Goofy, and of course, he writes out High Dad with the noodles. While Goofy is sleeping, Max is writing out a postcard to Roxanne, and he kicks the dashboard of the car, and the glove box opens up, and the map kind of unravels in front of him. He's got the pencil in his hand, so what does he do? Max changes the route on the map, so instead of going to Lake Destiny, which is where they're heading in Idaho... They go to Los Angeles. The next morning, Goofy tells Max that he's going to navigate the rest of the road trip. And 
things start to improve. They have a better trip. The relationship starts going back to normal, more like what we saw in the Goof Troop cartoons. They run into Pete and PJ again, and Pete overhears the scheme that Max had drawn up, and uh, he tells Goofy exactly what is happening. And Goofy, of course, is in denial about it until he sees that the map has been changed. When it comes time to go to L.A. or Idaho, Max chooses L.A. And Goofy confronts Max. He pulls to the side of the road. They get into a bit of a quarrel, but he forgets to put the car in park, sending the car down a hill off a cliff and into the water while the two of them are trying to stop it, and they start to float away. While floating, Max explains to Goofy what happened with Roxanne, and Goofy promises to get Max to Los Angeles. Uh, They sneak into the concert and end up on stage with Powerline for the world, including Roxanne, to see live on pay-per-view during the song Eye to Eye. They return home, and Max fesses up to Roxanne, but Roxanne admits that she liked him anyway, and he introduces her to Goofy, and they all, as far as we know, (laughs) live happily ever after. Um, This is the same road trip film that's been done a hundred times over. But this one, in particular, stands out. I I go so far as to say that for me, when I think about road trip films, other than the film Road Trip, um, the two films that come to mind immediately are National National Lampoon's Vacation Mm -hmm. and, and a Goofy movie. And I think that that's really a testament to the screenwriting. Definitely. I think off the bat, the smartest choice that they made was to do this as a father-son coming-of-age story because I feel like if they had made it about Goofy and his daughter, it would have been like really full-housey and hokey and cheesy. Um, So I think having that kind of relationship is what makes this really strong from the jump. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that um, what impresses me a lot, too, is that you feel bad for both Max and Goofy, which is a compliment to the screenwriting. Because for all intents and purposes, you really shouldn't feel bad for Max at all because he's deceiving his father. And he's kind of a jerk sometimes. Like, I feel he can be really mean to Goofy. Yeah, uh, especially in the first half, but you still feel bad for him because I think a lot of people can relate to what Max was going through. In high school specifically, there were people that were very popular, there were those that were not so popular, and then there were those who kind of floated in the middle and were neutral. And of all the people, they kind of had it the easiest. But it's clear that Max is not high on the food chain in terms of a social hierarchy in his school. And... I think a lot of people really do sympathize for that. Yeah, they did a really, really good job of tapping into the teen angsty vibe. Yeah, without, with no doubt about it. And it, touching on points such as trying to get your crush to notice you. In this case, it's a male trying to impress a female, but th- that door very much, in reality, swings both ways. Which is why I think this film is relatable, whether you are a male or a female. Definitely, especially because, and this was another smart choice that they made, they didn't make Roxanne like the most popular girl in school. So it's not like Max is pursuing that some, someone that's out of his league, and it keeps the focus on his relationship with Goofy. So I think that was a good choice, Um especially because she's just as nervous as he is to talk to him. You think that she's not going to give him the time of day, but it's actually kind of cute how their relationship starts off because she doesn't really want to talk to him either. Right. Although I will never for the life of me understand why it is less scary to talk to your crush than perform in front of the entire school. Because when he's performing in front of the entire school, he's doing it, number one, as power line. Number two, 
in costume. I don't think he wanted people to know right away who he was. No, he didn't. I mean, I get it. It was supposed to be a disguise. But like you're telling me that by throwing on a jumpsuit and some shades, nobody was going to see who you were? Ask Clark Kent. Oh, jeez. Seriously. (laughs) But, you know, it's... You're right. I I agree with you there, but I I feel like it was easier for him because he's hiding behind that power line persona. And I think that gave him a lot of confidence. So, I mean, I coming listen, this is coming from somebody who in in high school, in junior high school, I was in a band. I had no problem standing up on a stage and playing in front of 500 people. But if there was somebody who I had an interest in talking to that one person was 10 times harder than getting up on stage and performing any song. No, I would agree with that because I was the same way, like especially being a girl, I was never going to go and like talk to my crush or whatever, but I did dance. So yeah, I guess in that sense, like when it came time to do a recital and perform, like that was easier for me, but I'm saying his whole thing was to set up this power line performance to ask her out. So eventually he's going to have to do the reveal. Right. He just kind of got foiled by uh, PJ and Bobby. Yeah. But I, I tell you, though, I do like their little conflict. They introduce it right away. Not just that they have a crush on each other and they're nervous to speak to each other, but this lie. I mean, this movie does a really good job with its pacing. It crams. The thing is, it's it's not that it's for by no stretch of the imagination is it a very involved plot line. As I said, you've seen these wacky road trip movies a hundred times, but they do a really good job of sort of you know placing an emphasis on the strained relationship between the father and son, the strained relationship, in a sense that. that Roxanne and Max have together because it's should I or shouldn't I and I want to but I can't and then this this lie about Powerline this all happens within the first 15 minutes of the movie so you're off to the races right away yeah they raise the stakes really quickly I like how the lie gets out of control almost immediately Um, what I don't like though is that you know, I had said it before, Roxanne is not the girl that's out of his league and he's just as nervous. So when he tells her that he can't take her to the party, I feel like her reaction is almost uncalled for because she's just like, I guess I'll get someone else to go. Because it's not like she's the most popular girl where she's get gotten a whole bunch of offers. She wanted him to take her. And you're not willing to wait? Right. I mean, obviously, without that reaction, you don't have the plot of the film because he doesn't make up the lie. But yeah, it sort of seems like it's it seems like a zero to 60 very quickly right? without giving him the satisfaction or the opportunity to explain what's happening. Right. And I get that she's disappointed, but it's like you wanted him to ask you. So why are you so quick to dismiss him? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Walt is bummed too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walt is goofy and Max a dog. Okay. <laughs> well, we got his answer. And I'm totally leaving all of that in, by the way. Yeah. None of this is coming out. Um, I got to say, it's be- all right, Walt. We all got right, it. We get it. We get it. We, we, you've been heard. We get it. Walt, do you want to go see Powerline? Yeah. Come on. You're, you're always down for a good road trip, buddy. We, we actually have taken this dog to Disney before. He, he has been on Disney property, but that's another story for another day. What I really like about this film, and it's, it's not only a compliment to the screenwriting, but also to the voice actors. You can cut the tension with a knife. Yeah. And, and also, not just the screenwriters and the voice actors, but also the animators. I mean, this came together so well. They were able to create... So much drama. Yeah, like when Max is getting embarrassed, I I sit there and I cringe yep. for him sometimes. Like you totally do get that feeling of, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Especially when they're at Lester's Possum Park. Which, by the way... I love the hokey road trip stops. Yes. 
because we've all done it. We've all gone to south of the border. We've all gone to something hokey. But did you get a country bear jamboree feel off of that? Oh, I think there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek satire there. Uh, the the Disney Easter eggs in this movie are so deliberate. There's so many. There's the Mickey phone, the nightlight in the Neptune Hotel, which is Ariel. Ariel. Um, Mickey and Donald are hitchhiking. He's got uh, a Goofy has a a Disney logo keychain. Key yeah, and when they're playing, uh, they're playing the the road trip game. His guest was Walt Disney. And I don't know if you noticed this. It was something I only caught um, last night when I was watching it. Uh, Mickey is in the crowd at the Powerline concert. No, I've never caught that. Which, you know, it it, it just happened because I was I actually had to stop it to take Walt outside. Um, and as I was shuffling back because I wanted to restart the song again, I was like, oh, my God, there's Mickey in the audience. And I kind of wish that there was like a full circle moment it was just mickey i kind of wish it was him and donald because they were hitchhiking and i thought it that would have been yeah. so awesome to see like everybody from from the open road at the show because it was california or bust exactly i can't wait to talk about the music in this by the way we'll get to it soon um i do like the little subplot where this is more than just a father-son road trip for Goofy in terms of keeping Max on the straight and narrow that he often references back the trip that he took with his father mm -hmm. and that he references you know, the map that his father had. And I think even on the map, it says property of and like they keep crossing names off because it's, it's clear been passed it's been hand down, handed down, handed sure. down. I think it even at the one point just says to all Goofies. Yes. So I, I like the fact that there's more to it than just your sort of cookie-cutter plot. Well, I remember when we were watching it the first time earlier on in the week, you had said to me, I don't understand why when Goofy gives Max control of the road trip, he doesn't just say, I want to go to Lake Destiny via L.A. or whatever. Um you know, and I realized, I mean, aside from the fact that you would have no movie if he just flat out asked him to go and take him to the concert, you know, it's like you were saying before, is that they're both kind of at fault. And I feel like you're supposed to lean towards pitying Goofy because, like I said, Max is kind of meaner to him sometimes. Yeah. But Goofy is just as much to blame because Goofy thinks that because he had a good relationship with his father, that that's kind of the book on what he has to do to have a good relationship with Max. And that's really what the plot is, is him figuring out how to relate to Max and have a good relationship with his son, even though they're not into the same activities. Yeah, he's way too trusting. Goofy is the type of dad, like if he existed in the real world today, would number one, tell dad jokes. And think they're hilarious, uh, but yuck. not but not in an ironic sort of way. He would think that they're great. When we were working at the radio station, we would do an event at, say, Nassau Coliseum or Jones Beach. How many times did we see at one of these Teeny Bop concerts, the parents would drop off their daughter, and she'd be in, like, a hoodie and jeans, and the first thing she'd do is go into the... Rip down. Go into the bathroom yep. and come out wearing something that a 30-year-old shouldn't be wearing, and they'd be 14 years old. Yep. That's Goofy. He's that dad. <laughs> He's that dad that just trusts everything that comes out of his kid's mouth and lives in denial. But you know what? That works, though, because Pete totally preys on that paranoia. Right. Because Pete himself is a very much a pessimistic person. And you can tell that his style of parenting and Goofy's style of parenting are totally, totally different. Well, yeah, one wants to you know, lead by fear and the other wants to be his friend. Correct. And Goofy has to sort of find that happy medium because Pete's style is a little too aggressive and it works, but in a totalitarian sort of way. And Goofy is way too lax. Yeah, because did you notice, I only noticed it like on the more recent viewings, every time you see PJ when he's not in school, he's cleaning something. Yeah. He's working the entire summer. Yeah. Yeah, no, Granted, I, I, that I is realize a that. Darn cool RV. 
with a bowling alley and a pool. Yeah, this basketball this court or whatever, whatever they tricked it out with. Th- this isn't cousin Eddie's RV. <laughs> no, this is this is a real deal RV. Um, something else that stands out. You mentioned before. Yeah, it it always bothered me. Like if Max, why didn't Max just say, "Well, you said I could choose the stops, and then we'll go to like Destiny." Goofy is until he hands the map over to Max, which is sort of his way of extending the olive branch. Goofy is fixated with reading this map. Are you telling me he wouldn't have known the difference between Los Angeles and Idaho if Pete didn't point out to him what was going on? Not to mention one is west and one is north. Yeah. Oh, well, this is the most insane route ever. They, they, they yeah, go they're to, going to New Orleans yeah. like by way of Chicago. It's wild. But it's, but it's a road trip that only Goofy could plan. Sure. So it, it, I mean, the it, map is a squiggle. Yeah, it real. It literally is. But in spite of all of that, it doesn't really take away from me. I don't. I, I see those things, and they they stand out as things that sort of bothered me as a kid. But they don't ruin the movie for me. There's one thing that does take away from me. I won't say that it ruins it. Um, the whole Bigfoot part feels a bit disjointed to me. Um. I mean, it does give them that nice heart-to-heart moment in the car, but I just kind of wish that somehow they escape Bigfoot and it later ties into something else that happens on the road trip. Like, for example, Goofy teaches Max the perfect cast, and it comes up two more times once where he has to save Goofy and then once at the Powerline concert. So I wish that something, you know, they did something to either start working together to escape Bigfoot or something that they did to get away they employed later on in the in the movie to, like, break into the Powerline concert. Yeah. Because this movie does such a good job of tying everything else up. I just kind of wish that it was kind of a seed that they planted earlier on that grows into a tree later. Yeah, I I get that, and I agree with that. I think part of it is that this, everything about this road trip is just doomed from the start. Like, in theory, it would have made more sense if they could have had this high dad soup thing in a tent while it was raining, and they had to make soup inside because they exactly, couldn't start a fire. Exactly, And they had to use a lighter in the tent. But... Uh, I guess they just, at the end of the day, the root of this is that it is a kid's movie. And I think they're just trying to be zany and silly and very much like the 80s. There were a lot of things in the 90s that lacked subtlety. I think this sort of falls victim to that. Um, But I think the other thing is, I guess I mentioned it before, everything is just so doomed that for them to have gotten a tent up and the worst thing that happens is it rains... I, I guess it would have felt disconnected from the movie, though I do agree with you. The whole Bigfoot thing, it's comic relief. He's dancing to the Bee Gees, but I can kind of do without it. I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. Granted, this is a goofy movie, so everything is going to be extreme. Even, you know, when the car goes over and they're floating on it down the river and over the waterfall. Like, yeah, I mean, I can I can totally suspend my disbelief for that. But I mean... I guess my question is, like, why Bigfoot? Like, why not go Area 51 and make it aliens or something like that? If they really, yeah. I'm just saying, just something to tie it in to later on. Because everything else does eventually wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I guess they go with Bigfoot because they're in the wilderness, they're camping, but I get that. As I said, that's a part of the movie that, it's not that I've never enjoyed it, I've just kind of... Like, after you see Bigfoot dancing to Staying Alive in the background when he's got the headphones on, I laugh so hard, like, the first time I see the movie Mm. when I was a kid, and it got less and less funny. I think I chuckled at it the first time I saw it this week because I just haven't watched this movie in a long time. But by the second and third time I saw it, I was just like, yep, there it is again. Well, that's that's what I'm saying is it it's not only that it loses its humor over the years, and I think that has to do with aging. I'm I'm just saying it just feels completely disjointed now. But, you know, they kind of spoofed everything else, like you said, the the 
possum thing is kind of like country bear jamboree so they're spoofing disney world and then in the montage later on they show them at a baseball game like i I guess just picks like something more americana and go for it you know like go go to mount rushmore or something like that you know and like destroy one of the president's faces by accident like that that would be a goofy thing that i'd expect you know yeah accidentally defacing George Washington or something like that or have a have a Walt Disney mommy monument that they destroy accidentally yeah yeah all right I'll, I'll give you that one I'm not condoning destruction of government property yeah don't touch the partner <laughs> statue don't touch anything at Mount Rushmore and if you do we didn't send we didn't tell you to do it one of the universal podcasts sent you <laughs> not us it was not I um do you have anything else that you want to add on the uh, plot here before we uh, move on? No, I'm good. That's that's my only thing is Bigfoot. But otherwise, I think, uh, yeah, it's like I said, they, they tie everything else up. Yeah. Um, I, I like the introduction. I mean, the, the thing is, this, this film has source material because we've seen Goof Troop. Right. Really, the two characters that are introduced and stand out are Bobby and um, Roxanne, and they both serve a purpose. I like them both. Um, Let's talk about Bobby. He was great casting. Pauly Shore. Again, something that could have only existed when he did. Yeah, I'm not a Pauly Shore fan, but I just, it's the Leaning Tower of Cheese. That still cracks me up to this day. Yeah. And it's stupid. I wish we would have seen Steven Zahn in this movie because it's actually not him. Though I believe he voices PJ on Goof Troop. I believe he did. I may be wrong about that, but I'm almost certain he was on Goof Troop and they, they recast for the movie because actually, yeah, I remember watching this film thinking that doesn't sound like PJ. Like, it's close, but not exact. Right. Um, uh, yeah. But um, obviously, we talked about Roxanne before as a love interest. She works as a character. She's likable. Again, I think a lot of this movie in a bizarre way is just very relatable. Yeah, because she's very girl next door. Yes. You know what was an interesting kind of role reversal, though, is like she, I mean, yes, she's girl next door, but she looks like she could also be the most popular girl in school. The most popular girl is Stacy, who's having the party. Yes. Who, A, looks like Blossom, if you really want to date this movie. She's got the hat. Um, But it's just interesting that, I mean, yes, as the most popular girl, you did get voted to be the student body president, but, like, she doesn't necessarily look the part. Correct. Not that you want to stereotype anybody, but she she looks like the type of person that would, like, be buried in a book at the library. She looks like she would be the type of person who's afraid to talk to Max. And yes. instead, she's hosting this party with. I also feel like we should explain pay per view because that's what really, that's really the only thing that kind of dates this movie. Pay per view kids is like what Netflix is now, except instead of a monthly subscription, it's like a one off viewing. Well, that's it. They don't, except for a sporting event, they don't have yeah, pay per view anymore. Yeah. They just have on demand video streaming and you just pay your 4.99 and you watch the movie. But the difference is that like when there was a pay-per-view, it was a huge mm-hmm. event. It was like probably not even once a month. Like to put it in perspective, I think they did an in sync concert on pay-per-view once. Again, I'm dating myself. Kids, in sync was Justin Timberlake's band before he was Justin Timberlake. Yes. I I just know Joey Fatone. <laughs> And you can thank the Impractical Jokers for that. This is true. Funny story. Do you know I saw Joey Fatone perform before InSync was even a thing? At the, uh, he was in the Beetlejuice show. Yeah, in, uh, he, in was Universal. The Wolfman, he was the Wolfman. Yeah. And he, he stood out even then. This was in the mid '90s, and he stood out even then as being the most insanely, like, talented person on that stage. Turns out, Joey Fatone. And I have it on VHS tape somewhere, and I can't find it. still need to find that for me. I do need to find it. But yes, pay-per-view. Feels like it dates the movie a little bit. Um, And I'll save my full synopsis for whether or not I think the movie feels dated or not. 
for the end. You can let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio, though. Do you think that the movie feels dated? Um, let's talk about the music. Yes. I got to be honest with you. Maybe I'm burying a little bit of a lead here before I really break down each song. But I think that these songs are perfect for this film. I think that they all have a great message. And quite frankly, if there's anything about this movie that is severely underrated and underappreciated, more than the film itself, it's this music. Absolutely. Yeah. These should be, these songs should be up there with the part of your worlds. And I dare even say the let it go. Yeah. And you know what? If, and it's a shame that he's not alive anymore, but if he was, I would pay top dollar to see a double bill with Prince and Powerline. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, actually, that's that's a good question before we get into the music more. Um, do you think, or, or who do you think that Powerline is supposed to be modeled after? <sighs> Part of me wants to say Michael Jackson, but I, I, I think Prince. I think it's I think it's a cross between Michael Jackson and Prince. I was kind of leaning towards Michael, especially because I don't know if you catch this. Um, in Open Road, a limo goes by and there's a sparkly glove sticking out of the top of it. Yeah. So I mean, obviously that's a Michael Jackson thing, and that's again why I kind of wanted that that moment at the end where everybody was going to California for the show, including Powerline. Um, I guess I would agree with a combination of both. The The sparkly glove kind of makes me lean one way, but um, I did see this really awesome tweet recently that said if they were going to redo uh, a Goofy movie as a live action, uh, they'd want Bruno Mars to be Powerline. I don't know who said it. I want to give them credit because I think that's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I don't see how you could possibly do this as a live action film, but yes, it would be very interesting to see... Bruno Mars in in any sort of role with Disney but I think you're right maybe not in a live action film but if they had recast that role today Bruno Mars would have been good casting I guess Powerline to me dances like Michael Jackson but sounds like Prince I would agree with that right I would definitely agree with that but uh, Powerline does not have the first song in this film let's start at the beginning after today now, it's not until you watch this movie a lot that you realize that After Today does get sampled a couple of times throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. But they sort of, like, they, they slow it down and they, and they drop the tuning a little bit so it sounds a little bit more, you know, morose <laughs> and sad. It's kind of like Max's theme throughout. And it's such a great way to kick off the movie. Like, aside from just being a really fun, upbeat song. I love the way Max's excitement for what he's about to do kind of parallels everyone else's excitement about getting out of school. Yes. It's just a really great setup. It's a great setup. It's The entire scene is great. He's walking through town, and they get the whole kind of cast in there singing, but they're all singing about after today. What is their motivation? What are they going to do after today? And some of them are, I'm going to sit around and read comics, and I'm going to go to the mall, and I'm going to do this, talking about what they want to do with their summer. And then the, the bus driver says, I'm going to sit on my butt. That, that kills me every time I see it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of those teen movie archetypes in this opening number. But like, yeah, everybody's got their their summer vacation goals. It's just a great song. And I think when you said, you know, we were looking for a summer kickoff movie, this number is is kind of like why we picked this one, at least for me. Right. And I think that them sort of having tunnel vision and only thinking about what the summer uh, what the summer means for them juxtaposed against what to, to after today for Max means more than just what I'm going to do with my summer vacation. He's he is reinventing himself. Right. But you know what's funny is that it could go either way because he thinks after today his life is going to be so much better. But I was like, nah, buddy, I see where you're going with this. If it all fails, you've got the entire summer for people to forget about it. Yeah. And a spoiler, they're not going to. No. Um, It kind of reminds me of Greece, though. 
I don't know if yes. it's just that last shot where he's on the bleachers or maybe the end of school, although Greece comes full circle. It starts at the beginning of the year. It ends, it, you know, it ends at the end. Yeah. But um, I don't know. That, that one shot, like, it's so exciting, and then it kills it for me because I hate Greece. You know, I've, I have a love-hate relationship with Greece. Yeah. I loved it as a kid, but it After just After you're stuck on a cruise watching it on loop. <laughs> Yeah, but what bothered me after a while was, and like even through high school, was like we got to watch a movie in school. Just put on Grease. Like if we were on a bus going to like Philadelphia or like one of those big sleepaway trips, put on Grease. Oh, it rained today. Can't go to Grease. Go go put on Grease. No, and just the the older I get, the more I realize what a terrible freaking movie it is. You got 40-year-olds playing high school kids, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I, I could do an entire episode on why I hate Grease, but I'm not going to do that. That's not what the show... Unless... I don't know. Does, has Disney purchased the right to this? The rights to this yet? Is it a Fox movie? Oh, please tell me we can review Grease on this no, podcast. No, I, I want to say Grease was a Paramount release. Dang. So we got another 40 years until we can talk <laughs> about it on this show. Sandy will be a Disney princess. How about that for you, if Disney buys it? Actually, we get two Sandy Disney princesses. Yeah. <laughs> right? We got little Miss Sandra D. But we're, we're talking way too much about something that, that is not going to happen for a very, very long time. The future. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else on after today? Um, I just, I think that this song specifically holds up almost more than the rest of them because in spite of the fact that I think in the entirety of the Disney canon, it's very much underrated, it goes back to having that cult following because I'm sure you remember a few years ago that viral video where they literally did after today shot by shot. I'm going to post that. It's If you've not seen it yet, it blew me away. And it was it was for a student project, I believe. And it's awesome i was like why didn't i think of that in it's high school so Ugh. good it's so well done the next so- the next song is stand out um power lines you know the first song we hear by power line and all i had written down was stand out yes <laughs> no it's like the perfect pop song like if power line was real yes that is the song that would get everybody into power line I would love, and I never have, and I'm sure I never will, but like when I put on 90s on 9 on Sirius XM when I'm in the car, I would ju- I would go crazy if this song came on. I would lose my mind. Honestly, Powerline is one of those things where like, I wish this developed such a cult follow, like that somebody would actually be Powerline. You I know. know, like that. That's the thing that came out of this movie. I wanted Powerline to be real so bad because I love all the Powerline songs in this. And part of me wishes that they would have done. And and listen, you know, because of the streaming service and because they're starting to remake certain things for our generation because our yes. generation is starting to have kids. You've got the um, you've seen Darkwing Duck pop up recently. Um, DuckTales got a remake. I heard the Rescue Rangers are getting a remake. I would love to see some sort of either film or series, however it is you can make it work, just a Powerline spinoff. Yeah, or even if it was just something as simple like, you know how Less Than Jake did the Good Burger music and they did the Amadudes, but like they still embrace it and they'll still perform it. I wish it was something like that. Right, and it's it's a uh, some forty one did um, what it was from Road Trip, right? Scotty doesn't Scotty know. Scotty doesn't know, and they, yeah. and we saw some forty one, and they played Scotty doesn't know. That's what I'm saying. Like I, yeah, I wish there was something like that, where the band would still perform it, so you could see these songs live. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's there's not a ton to this song other than it is so much fun. It's got a great. It's it's just got a great rhythm to it, and like it's an earworm. When I get it in my head, I can't get it out. It is just a fun '90s 
pop song. No, and it, it's also one of those really smart choices where like it fits the character because Max is trying to stand out. Correct. But it also taps into that you know, in, into just the teen thing where it's a song that they're into. Right. And it, like you said, encouraging you to stand out above the crowd mm. and be different and be yourself and put yourself out there. Like I said earlier, I think that a lot of these songs just have a really strong message behind them. And I think that the songwriting, and I know I'm repeating myself, and I'm sorry if it's getting repetitive, but I, I don't think I can stress enough. If you've not seen this movie, sorry, we spoiled it for you, but um, you really have to go and listen to these these songs and watch this film it's it's like it blows my mind that this film is underrepresented in the parks that it got nothing but two kind of crappy straight to vhs remakes or or sequels i should say and that it's just i i can't say it's underappreciated what what do you want from me (laughs) i got nothing else to say sometimes there's nothing else to say but and it's I very think, rare that Sean is at a loss for words. But I just, I feel like people that are really about this film would agree with me on that. I and do. It, But the weird thing about this movie is that I feel like by the time 1998 rolled around, if you were a kid just getting into Disney, within two or three years of this movie coming out, you, you never watched it. You don't even know what it is. It's yeah. like it's like they put it in a box and they threw it in a closet and they locked the door and it was gone. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the Disney Vault. Granted, it's no joke, but it's like I was saying at the top of the episode. Like this movie disappeared, and I like I felt bad for it because I was like I remember I loved it when I saw it in theaters, and I just felt like it got the bad rap. Yeah, for no reason. On the open road is the next song. First off, I love the crazy cat lady when she's driving around. I don't know why. I love I was... the crazy everybody. I love the fact that. You're singing about being on the open road, but it's more than just going on a trip to your next destination. It's about life in general Mm -hmm. and how they go from car to car and everybody similarly is singing about their motivation and where they're going. And then eventually you see the corpse come back and start talking. (laughs) It's like, well, I guess we're all going down the same road eventually, right? No, and it's it's not just that. I mean, I love that they didn't... It starts off as a duet, and Goofy's all excited, juxtaposed against Max being bummed out. You know, he's like, I'm about to lose my guts because he's just so miserable to be there. And then it would have just been a great song with the back and forth between them because they're not on the same page. But I love how they bring in everybody that they're passing. And that's where I just wish at the end... Like I said before, especially because you've got Mickey, if they would have thrown Donald into that crowd and like just even, you know, just to really play into the goof of it is, you know, there's the policeman with the guy that he's dragging off to the clink if he like handcuffed himself to the inmate but you know they're like at the concert dancing to Powerline because Powerline just brings everybody together or you know if even the corpse is dancing at the end like as silly as that would be I would have liked to see that because everybody's just just wants to go to this concert yeah um nobody else but you is in my opinion I think it is one of the best Disney songs out there most underrated it is the most underrated song in the movie. I think that it's got great lyrics. I think that it's got the most heartfelt message of any song in this movie. And I think that the harmonization between Goofy and Max is phenomenal. We need to talk about the harmonization for a second. Okay. Because before we're but before we get to the last song, we've been talking about Powerline so much. Um, so Jason Marsden was such great casting um i knew him from boy meets world he was eric's best friend and also the best friend on step by step he was jt's best friend he's always like that great sidekick so i'm glad he got the leading role in this but i think his voice is just so per like the inflections everything about it is so perfect and i was curious if he sang um he didn't sing actually um which i was really surprised by because the singing voice is so close. All it's the inflections so are the same. Um, this might blow your mind. So hang on one sec. Um, the singing voice of Max is Aaron Lore, 
who everybody will probably know better as Dean Portman from The Mighty Ducks. No Wait, way. wait, it gets better. Aaron Laura goes on to star in the movie remake of Rent, where he met Idina Menzel, so he is now married to her. So yes, kids, Queen Elsa married a Bash brother. Does that not blow your Disney mind? I can't believe that a Bash brother is singing. Can sing like that, I know. Wow. He's actually crazy talented. Like he doesn't have a huge part in Rent, but like he he really does have a nice voice. But when I saw the credit, I vaguely recognized the name and then like I I went to IMDb and I was like, I think that's Dean Portman. Oh my God. Uh, I'm my mind is blown right now. I know. Thank you for that. Welcome to the other side of life. Yeah. Um but I love this. I, I think that this oh, this whole movie is is a really good sort of coming as age coming of age film. I think it's as good as any of them that they make. Um, but but this song in particular, nobody else but you. I think that it ties it together so nicely, and I think it ties it together for both of them, for Max and for Goofy. Because as odd as it sounds, because Goofy's the father, he's the adult. He's coming of age too. He's he's coming to terms with the fact that Max is not the little boy anymore. He's still his son, but he's not the little boy and that they are going to have differences and that they aren't going to agree on everything and they're not going to have the same hobbies. But at the end of the day, they they don't want to have anybody but each other. Well, it's like I said before, Goofy is measuring a good relationship by what he had to his father, what he had with his father. And right. he had to figure out how to relate to his son, you know, and it does kind of break down a wall for him because he's furious with Max. He's just learned that, you know, he wasn't being honest and he was lying to get to L.A. to get what he wanted. True. And, he, yeah, and he's taking advantage of him. Um, the last song is Eye to Eye, um, which is Powerline's openings, I believe, the opening song uh, for his pay-per-view concert. And when I hear this, first off, I think, I want to buy the album. Where can I buy the album? Right. But like I want to be in Los Angeles at what I assume is supposed to be the forum. I want to be there so badly when that song starts because it's like the perfect concert starter. Yeah. You know what it, it kind of reminds me of too is um, the Bon Jovi. It's my life video because the kids are racing to get to the Bon Jovi show. And that's, it's it's kind of similar here is i mean granted max had ulterior motives but it's it's that driving force to get to that show for that moment in that song yeah and everything about this scene is great it's not just the the incredible song again it's an earworm you can sing it in your car you can't get it out of your head but watching max and goofy come together that culminates the whole movie and yeah, they're do with the perfect cast uh, it's it's awesome with power line and the animation really for the good. dancing is like really impressive. Well, you, similarly to a lot of other films, and I just love when they keep doing things like this. They had live action dance references, like yeah. they filmed it and then they they drew over it. I, I just love the fact that this was something that started with Walt Disney almost a hundred years ago, and they're still. I mean, given this movie's what almost twenty five years old. But they're still doing it. Right. But I think for something like this, you have to. I mean, I, I would like to think that if you're working for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity, you're going to go to Walt's blueprints for whatever it may be. But I feel like, especially with the way the movement is, I mean, you're not talking about Snow White partnering with two dwarfs standing on each other's shoulders. Th this is like some funky hip hop here. Yeah, so I guess you would need a reference point, right? Yeah. You kind of do. It, it is very advanced. This song also is kind of what makes me lean towards more towards Michael Jackson than Prince, who Powerline is supposed to be modeled after because of the message in the song. I mean, it's not we are the world, but it's a little man in the mirror. Little man in the mirror, a little black and white. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, synopsis, final say on it. Um, I love this movie just as I did back, back in the day. Um, does it feel dated? Honestly, no, not really. I mean, I know we've been like, obviously we're nineties kids. I know we've been talking about Michael Jackson and all this stuff, but really the pay-per-view reference 
it is the only thing that dates it just a touch. Everything else I think is completely relatable. And if it's, you know, if it's not Michael Jackson, I mean, the music sounds a little 90s-ish. The dancing is a little 90s-ish. But yeah, you could apply that to anybody today. It could be Justin Timberlake. It could be Bruno Mars, you know? Agreed. Um, But yeah, I still love this movie. I think that this movie ages well. I think that this movie is timeless. I don't get tired of hearing Max's goofy laugh. It doesn't get old. It's not one of those things that gets, you know, beaten to death in a movie. And I said before, I think the film's underappreciated. I still think it's underappreciated. And I think that if you've never seen this movie, you have to go see it, or at least find a copy of it. And if, if you have kids and you're raising them on Disney and you haven't shown them this, you got to stop what you're doing and somehow get your hands on a copy of it. I'm sure by the time November 12th rolls around and they roll out the streaming service, I'm sure this film is going to be on there. This is one that people have to watch. I think you have to put it on the radar of the modern audience. I think you need to put it on the radar of, you know, the, the modern Disney kid that's probably never seen this movie. They've probably never heard of this movie before, but you're, you're in for such a treat. You're in for such a surprise. No. And especially to, um, if you have a kid, you know, that's a tween, I think it's a, an important movie to show them, you know, because of it is a coming of age movie, but especially if, if you feel like, you're not able to relate to your kid and it's not as easy as when they were little and you're having trouble, you know, figuring out all these growing pains. I, I think it's a great summer movie, you know, sit down and show it to them on a rainy day. Yeah. And I think that for the same reason, the movie translates well to both kids and adults. I think that this exactly. movie, this movie has a home for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie is for everybody. And I think that it is one of the better films that the Walt Disney Company has put out in the last 25 years. Yeah, and I'm glad that uh, we also got to see Goofy sort of redeem, him, redeem himself. Not, not that he ever, uh, you know, but it, 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 he's a goof. That that's right. always been his thing. He's always like he's his own worst enemy in some ways because he's always the foil to himself. So I'm glad that we got to see this other layer of Goofy. I agree with you. Um, I'd say news for the week, but it's less news and more theory. More, yeah, I I like theory. I appreciate that you said theory instead of rumor. Um, or conspiracy, or whatever. Okay, well. There, there is the internet rumor. I guess we will start with that, uh, where Disney fans have drawn the connection to b- between Tarzan and Frozen, and they think that Anna and Elsa's parents are also Tarzan's parents, and that after the shipwreck, they washed up on the island, and they had Tarzan, and Tarzan is actually Anna and Elsa's brother. So they died twice. Dun dun dun. <laughs> No, that's not what the theory is. It's that they were never dead. I know. I understand that. But I'm saying, leave it to Disney. It's, ah, kill him once. Not enough. Let's kill him twice. <laughs> we've seen we've seen single parents. We've seen them kill the parents. Let's kill them twice. No. Okay. So that is the internet rumor. But what I noticed, um, it was recently the... I think 20th anniversary. Yeah, 20th anniversary yeah. of Tarzan. God, not 30. That would be... Whew. Um, 20th anniversary of Tarzan. So I went to their page, which is now Facebook official, and I was very surprised to find the trailer for Frozen on the page. No, we could make the argument for cross-promotion. However, you go to Little Mermaid, you go to Aladdin... You find me the Frozen trailer on their pages. It's not there. So in other words, of all of the Disney films in the entire Disney catalog, Mm -hmm. the only one that shared the trailer Mm -hmm. was Tarzan. Yep. Do you think that there are just people at Disney that have fun with this stuff? Maybe. I would. (laughs) But now I really feel like I got duped. You're telling me that somebody's sitting there in an office being paid to think of things like this? You, you kind of just thought of it for him. 
Yeah, really. I mean, you spend enough time on a Disney message board. now, But it's interesting, though. You do bring up an interesting theory because they keep teasing the fact that there is a strong possibility that all of these films are going to tie in together. And I thought it was the Pixars, though. It's not just the Pixars. They're saying that they think they can tie in Tangled with Frozen with Tarzan, that somehow they're all going to play in into each other. I'm wondering when the bubble bursts on that. Either they have to come out and say, no, this doesn't exist, or what Avengers type of film are you going to put together? Yeah, like, that what are you, Ryan Murphy? This, what are you going to do to tie all this together? That's that's what I'm more interested in. I could see I could see Frozen and Tangled, maybe even Brave, because we did see those Stonehenge type of things. But I don't know. I feel like Tarzan's like a different era of Disney than than Frozen. I, I think the theory could work. But I'm just saying, out of all the movies, one shared it. Go look at the Facebook if you think I'm wrong. Speaking of which, you can let us know what you think. Is there a conspiracy? Is there a theory? Do these Am tie nuts? together? <laughs> at Monoreal Radio. Don't on, you answer that, Sean. I didn't say a word. At Monoreal Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We had so much fun not just talking about a goofy movie not just talking about the songs, but taking a trip down memory, memory lane and going right back to Epcot Center. Yes, if you want to go try and find Max Goof in the parks, get in touch with me either directly through our social media or you can email me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.